This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast, an extension of the Pitch in Kansas City. I am your host and the editor-in-chief of the Pitch, Mr. Brock Wilbur. How is everybody doing out there? Here's the thing. I've seen a lot of you out there. Uh, been a lot of events lately, a lot of uh, big get-togethers outdoors. Uh, met a lot of people that I didn't get a chance to in the last two years of doing this job. Uh, and uh, thank you all for coming up to say hello. Uh, I could tell a lot of you were enjoying Irish Fest last weekend. Uh, we have a write-up and a bunch of photos from our own Jim Nimmo. Uh, who I did not know uh, had been embedded in the Irish Fest for so long that uh, some of the bands won't let him hang out with them anymore on account of uh, on account of them previously having missed flights uh, by staying up too late with him. So uh, shout out to our own Jim now for uh, knowing how to out party touring Irish rock band. You know, there's a lot happening there, and I I, I just. We have no choice but to stand. I have nothing to do but respect that. Uh, so here's been a fun one for me. Um, my dog has started going to a new play date spot. Uh, here is the thing about that. The first couple of times there, he did not play with the other dogs. But for the first time ever, he was not bad with the other dogs. That obedient school thing has really worked out. Instead, my wife and I watched him on a camera all day where he stood exactly in the middle of a room while all the other dogs sort of went in circles and, and were excited by different people and things. So every photo that we've got of it uh, is him standing in the exact same spot while 40 dogs are gathered on one side of the room, and in the next shot, he is in the exact same spot while every other dog has moved to the opposite side of the room. Um, they were like, he's doing good. He has finally started playing with dogs, um, and is doing good. And boy, I could not be happier. Also, pretty great to see him just absolutely tuckered out. I don't think we get enough walks in with him. So to see him come home and be like, I'm I'm going to bed early. Like, I, I have no interest in, in doing a pee or a walk later. I have I have had my fun. That is, um, he, he seems contented. So... After we got the last magazine of the pitch uh, off to the presses, I took about a week to not do much uh, to uh, play a video game that I was excited that came out, um, to hang out with friends, and to generally sleep in a lot, a thing that I don't do. Um, and it has led me to, having come back to the office on, on uh, Monday of this week, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to talk to everyone. I, I burned out a little bit. I took a little bit of time. And I feel like I've had the exact same journey here that Trips has had, uh, which is that maybe it's it's okay to just give yourself some distance on everyone because uh, then you wind up in a much better headspace to want to hang out with them uh, and do things and, and, and to play in whatever form that takes. And that perhaps that's a life lesson that uh, all of us can work with right now. Uh, we are starting to really be back out there in the world in a big way, really make plans that are followed through on. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to, uh, to go back to the thing that we did before, 
which is bailing on them. Sometimes you can just skip the party. Uh, that's still an option. I'd forgotten that it was an option. I thought that once we were back to things, I had to say yes to everything. Relearn the skill set that uh, sometimes you can just stay home, and that is working wonders. Uh, so here's here's hoping that uh, you remember when to still give yourself a little distance, uh, even if you're done trying to be socially distant. <laughs> um, so we have a great episode of the show here today. Uh, we have a wonderful interview uh, with some guys, uh, local boys uh, from a band that I absolutely adore called Scores. Uh, we talked to them about their first album coming out. We have Nick's Music Corner, as per always, so like double music featurey thing happened. Uh, but first up here, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is back doing a reading of The Marathon Don't Stop uh, by Cameron Capers. This is one of the stories in our latest magazine that recently hit stands. Uh, it is about the bookstore Black Plus Brown. Um, I'm just going to let him take it away. Jason? The Marathon Don't Stop. Black Plus Brown Got Built on the Blassics by Cameron Capers. It doesn't take a well-read historian to know the complex and ugly history of the black community's erasure from the narrative of the United States past. As a black person who came up through the U.S. education system, the format always seems to be slavery, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and Obama. When chattel slavery is the foundation of your black history knowledge, it dehumanizes black Americans and robs young black folks of the opportunity to learn how deep our history truly runs. Despite centuries of slavery and colonization, black culture permeates the world through diaspora and, with it, black history. Corey Smith of the new black-owned bookstore Black Plus Brown is doing her part to maintain and cultivate our history. On Juneteenth, Smith welcomed Kansas City into her new bookstore, Black Plus Brown, with overwhelming support from fellow bookstore owners, the press, and citizens alike. Coming off of the heels of her grand opening, I spoke to Smith about her upbringing, the intersection of blackness and education, and plans to expand Black Plus Brown. The Pitch Inadequate access to education is still a huge problem in black and brown neighborhoods throughout the United States. Can you talk about growing up in Wyandotte County and how the education system there inspired your passion for literature? I was fortunate to still get the benefit of the black and proud 90s and was exposed from a young age to what it really means to be proud of our blackness. I attended Kitty College on Quindaro for pre-K and kindergarten. There I learned about Harriet Tubman and was inspired by the greats such as Venus and Serena Williams. Our fiercely unapologetically black teachers, Ms. Gray, Ms. Chandler, and Ms. Castleberry, made sure that we knew love and had an abundance of love for ourselves. From there, the fire for more was ignited. It was not until I started at Sumner Academy of Arts and Sciences in 8th grade that I would have another black teacher. But in the meantime, I read everything that I could from the West Wyandotte Public Library. Although, like most curriculums across the nation, there was not much black or brown literature discussed in class, I recognized early on that I exist. Therefore, stories about people like me must exist as well. I have my grandparents and mother to thank for all the trips to the library without fail, the visits to the Coterie Theater whenever black plays were performed, and always keeping black books flowing through our house. Wyandotte County has always felt very black and brown. The culture there is very much ours. Sadly, it doesn't look that way aside from residents. The resources are all being pushed further and further west towards the legends, outlets. But we are very much still here. You mentioned the excitement you felt as a kid when your mother took you and your brother to the library. Was there a specific genre that you gravitated towards? From a young age, I was always obsessed with history. My favorite genre was nonfiction. I loved hearing about the civil rights eras, the Ruby Bridges, the Black Panther Party, slavery by any and all other names. Have you always known you wanted to open your own bookstore, or was it something that you considered during your college years? 
Honestly, I've always wanted to have my own library, like in my home, but it was not until my brother passed away that I finally started thinking that I could open up my own bookstore. He was the free spirit of us too. In 2019, I started to seriously consider what it would take to make it happen. Growing up, I had three careers in mind, hairstylist, criminal defense attorney, and librarian. I quickly discounted the hairstylist after hearing how hard it is on your body. I actually went to law school and left after completing my first year. I was in Florida during the 2016 election year, and things just felt way too violent. And as for the librarian part, I applied for positions with the library every year from the age of 14 until even recently, never got so much as a call, so I dismissed that as well. Then I finally found the courage, thanks to Cody, my brother, to just create my own seat and my own table. Do it my way. As a black man who's loved reading my entire life, it's so cool to see multiple bookstores in Kansas City owned by black people. Can you talk about the first day Black Plus Brown opened to the public and the huge amount of support you've received so far? I did very little actual promo around the grand opening. I was going for a truly organic situation. It was that, but also so much more. A couple of news outlets reached out to me to do a few stories. I thought they'd be back-shelf stories just to fill space in the coming months, and they absolutely proved me wrong. I planned for maybe 50 people to show up throughout the day. From the time I officially opened, there were so many people in and out of Black Plus Brown. Mayor Quentin Lucas came by, signed my door, and bought some swag. I was shouted out by the West Wyandotte Library as a destination on their Juneteenth passport this year. I had a massive cake in the shape of books that I offered to guests, and we cut a ribbon. The news showed up a few times and did some interviews. By the time it was said and done, I had less than 20 books on my shelves. I have since been shouted out on the Friend Zone podcast as a Black Business of the Week, and I have been featured on several news sources, print and on air. Every day I get the pleasure of talking to amazing black legends. Mr. Alvin Brooks, Kansas City activist, has dropped off books to me. Mr. Larry Lester, co-founder of the Negro League Baseball Museum, has dropped off books as well. People have come by the store and shared about the store from so many other places outside of Kansas City, and that just feels so surreal. I have had a few schools and universities reach out to me to facilitate conversations with their students, staff, parents. I've had a few comrades in the system who have reached out to me to send literature to them, I've had churches have me come out to speak as well. It's really rewarding seeing so many new black authors finding success around the world, not only authors, but people in their communities making books more accessible. For example, Chicago-based rapper No Name has a book club and sends free books to incarcerated black folks. When you look to the future, what are some things you want to accomplish with Black Plus Brown? I love No Name. I hope to have a larger space that can truly serve as a separate art gallery. I have a mentorship program, Cody's Homies, that I plan to grow to add more little and big homies tenfold in the next year. I also hope to work with school systems, prison systems, and other spaces to help diversify their libraries. Lastly, I hope to grow Black Plus Brown events and expand my space. I've always wanted a community center that felt like family. I'm always looking for new books to read. For myself and the readers, what are some of your favorite books you've read recently? When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. The Marathon Don't Stop by Rob Kenner was definitely pivotal in my journey to opening Black Plus Brown. The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. After the Rain by Alex L. Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Dr. Nedra Tawab. The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity, and Love by Bell Hooks. Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem, a memoir by Daniel Dapper Dan Day. And Push Out by Monique Morris. To read more of Cameron Caper's interview with Corey Smith, head to thepitchkc.com. Black Plus Brown is located on 104.5 West 39th Street in Westport. Visit their official website at blkbrwn.com. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Jason recently moved to Detroit, has got settled in. You, we will not be going without him anymore. Uh, it's great. It's great to really have him back full time. 
and and settled into a to a new city for him. So, congrats on Detroit. Come visit KC. We we would all love to take you out for some barbecue. Uh, ladies and gents, it is now time for Nick's music corner. And Nick has been so busy with so many concerts coming back and so many people wanting to write and take photos of them. I I salute him for even getting this in this week. <laughs> Nick, take it away. Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. The latest from Lawrence Punk Trio, LK Ultra, I'm doing this because I love you, starts out quietly with Inez Robinson singing over a strummed guitar before going into a big rocker of a track. It's only made even more huge by the addition of gang vocals on the chorus from producer Giovanni Vintello and fellow young rockers Oxford Remedy, with this new single sounding like a mixtape fixture in the making. This new single from the indigenous-fronted queer band is the first new music from LK Ultra since their EP, You're Not Gonna Like This, released in October of last year. As an added bonus, the single's cover art by Stephen Robinson is also available on a limited edition t-shirt printed by Lawrence's Riverat Skate Shop, making this the first official piece of merch from the band that wasn't made DIY style in a living room or kitchen. LK Ultra plays the replay on Thursday, September 9th for an all-ages matinee with Summer Like the Season and Daniel Gum. You can find the single and the accompanying t-shirt at lkultra.bandcamp.com. Here's I'm doing this because I love you. I used to fall asleep in the car and the lights outside my home would wake me up, but I kept my eyes closed because I knew it'd be taken care of.
Thank you, Nick. Really appreciate that one. Uh, and so uh, finally here today, we have an interview. I'm talking to Alex and Austin Ward, a couple of brothers from KC, uh, and their band Scores has an album out now. Um, I am obsessed with them. I absolutely uh, adore this. Uh, I, I, I love what they're doing. It's this very dancey rock sort of thing. And we have put uh, one of their songs at the end of the interview here. Uh, so... Is, I know sometimes it can be difficult to uh, to discuss music when you don't know what the music sounds like. We're just going to skip that step. There's a song at the end there. I, I think you'll really enjoy what it is that they do. Uh, here is that interview with Scores. Welcome to the podcast. Would you guys introduce yourselves? You've got yourself an Alex Ward. And Austin Ward here. And Ward Parkway is indeed named for you, correct? Yes, that is correct. Ward Parkway and then uh, actually in Fort Scott, Kansas, where we're from, there's kind of a large company based out of there called Ward Craft that we also like to claim that we actually have no relation to, but they're the uh, the wealthy family in Fort Scott. I, I feel like you should be able to just walk into any of these places and somehow like eminent domain, like we... This is my ward now. I'm I'm of <laughs> of the wards. Uh, this is what we have. We are talking to you today because uh, you guys have made maybe my favorite album of the year, and I'm so goddamn uh, stoked to be talking to you. Uh, amongst the many bands and monikers that you tour and record under, uh, Scores has their first full length LP out now. What is Scores? <laughs> uh, great question. We don't. We're figuring really, it out. We're not quite sure <laughs> ourselves, but. Uh, basically, Scores was just a, um, I mean, before there was even a name attached to it, it was just a for fun side project between me, Alex, and our, our good buddy CJ Calhoun from Calvary and Bear and Bonzo Madrid out of Lawrence area. Bonzo. Bon Bonzo. Bonzo. Bonzo Madrid. I always think of the real Bonzo Madrid. Yeah, it's Bonzo. Book, but Bonzo. It's very important to me that all of you are in like four different groups. So this is, oh, I, yeah, I think I the first time I heard yeah, it gotta, on the yeah. bridge, it was introduced as a super group. And I was like, who are the other groups? I was like, I don't, not right now. Scores, that's yeah, the focus. Too many, yeah. Well, basically, yeah. So we, we've been buds with CJ for a very, very long time. And we've always been in separate bands. And from time to time, we might jam or kind of make a song together. Um, but basically about, I mean, gosh, what, four years ago now, we kind of started sending CJ just some ideas we had that we didn't know what to do with as the Noise FM or some other projects we were in. And so CJ for fun kind of laid down some vocal ideas and sent it back. And we were like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like it's, it would be a, a lot of fun just to kind of record in a, like an isolated cabin somewhere over the course of a weekend, just to see what we could do. And the whole idea being that there's no rules or structure to it. We just like, if something's cool, we get to lay it down. So that's exactly what we did. We went to a, a, a actually my parents live in a, on a small lake in Fort Scott, Kansas. So we took over their cabin for yeah, about took, a week. Yeah, took over their cabin and set up a little uh, recording studio with our another Chicago producer friend of ours, Greg Pansiera, who's a great engineer. And so over the course of like five, six days, we we knocked out four of the songs. And again, the whole idea was that, you know, we won't ever put these out as just a, a, a kind of more music release between the, the four of us. Uh, but it turned out so good that we were like, well, these are kind of six songs. Like, what if we did some more? <laughs> so then we uh, we brought in our good friend Joel Martin of like Why God Why and some other kind of Casey-based bands. And we had him produce and engineer another four songs. Um, and then so once we were sitting on eight of them, we were like, these are kind of too good not to, 
you know, not let people hear, <laughs> but we definitely didn't, again, we didn't want to treat it like a normal band we've all been in where the business side kind of takes the fun out of it. So we just decided like, let's just start putting it out with some cool videos we worked on and we'll put a name to it, which was scores, which we just always thought was a kind of a fun, cool name. And here we are. I always love when a band goes with a fun, cool name that makes Googling them goddamn impossible. I know. I know and we uh, thought we were onto something. We were like, man, Scores, how's this name not taken? We thought it was such a cool name. And then, yeah, as soon as we were like, well, let's call it Scores. And again, we weren't concerned about it at the time, like the Google factor. But yeah, you Google Scores and that. You're not going to find the we're band. We're the last thing you find. But again, that wasn't really a concern or goal. So we're still cool with it. I have your album purchased on Bandcamp and even under my in your library section, which is not extensive, it can't find you like you're not in the top result. <laughs> right. and I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is a lot of people will be like, you know, scores like, you know, is that like a game like scores like, you know, keeping score or what was it, you know, or was it like a music score and the actual start of the name it was CJ actually came up with it. It's actually like a, like a scratch, like a score in wood or a score in metal, like like scoring something. Um, so that was the actual meaning of the name. But then we actually kind of like the idea that it scores it's, means so many. It's open to interpretation. And uh, one of the other songs is over under. So if you type in scores over under, you'll just get a million gambling and betting websites, <laughs> making it even more impossible to look us up. I do like the idea that you're you're headed down a wormhole where album titles, song titles, like you just want to be impossible to find. Like you're, you're the music equivalent of off the grid. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's what yeah. we were going for. We don't want anyone to hear the music. Yeah. Which was kind of fitting considering this whole project was designed to not necessarily be released to the public. It's kind of fitting that by accident, you, you couldn't find, find it anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, that was our first interaction we had on Twitter, which was me like, tagging in one of your songs and being like everyone needs to listen to this and you guys responded with like well we made this for very few people and it looks like we found our one fan and i was like yes exactly. you hit the nail on the head with brock wilbur and i don't care if it involves anyone else so. that's awesome that's good to know that, that, if we can just reach one person that's all we care about so i, I i've got to ask like how much of this uh, then became sort of one of those it's impossible to not talk to touring musicians about what the last year and a half have looked like, but like even recording became a nightmare because like just getting in a studio with people, especially working with like live drum kits or something like it's, it was just verboten for so long. And so I wondered, especially in reading about how this was sort of your thing that you're like, this is for no one, how much of this became like, well, we have some time for it right now. Like, is this a pandemic album? <laughs> Had the pandemic not hit when it did i don't know when this record would have come out or if we would have still been sitting on it it was a kind of a just a convenient well that that sounds terrible but it was convenient timing for us for the pandemic that hit because it gave us an excuse to put it out we had actually finished tracking everything prior the summer prior to um covid and it was one of those, like like Austin said, like the record was done. We had it for ourselves and for our, our own enjoyment. Didn't know what we were going to do with it. And then during COVID, if, if, it, if COVID did anything for some people, it was just reminding people not to be so precious about art and just, you know, just start releasing stuff. And that kind of gave us the, the impetus of like, hey, let's go ahead and let's put this thing out. Let's, let's commit to it now. Um, so had COVID not hit, I don't know if the record would have come out. 
but fortunately it was already done prior. Yeah. And then I guess the, the main thing that COVID allowed us to do is work on some music videos for it because as we were sitting on it for so long, one aspect we did want to eventually do was like some visuals visuals for it, whether it was a proper music video or just some sort of trippy visual visual visualization 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 you're not the singers that's totally fine you don't need to <laughs> yeah, exactly we're, we're not the, we don't write the lyrics in this band but so um, with that with that in mind and with that sort of like it's for no one and it's uh, our, our all like fourth side project and and pandemic how, how much of this album did you like ever think like in the process like we need to figure out how to play this live because i know that often happens when you get into doing something that's sort of synth based uh and, and a little more electronic than you're normally working with and especially your three dudes that are multi-instrumentalists like is it did you get done and go like oh we could never fully play a concert without a billion backing tracks to this or, yeah, or yeah. were you thinking about how, okay never mind i hit it on yeah. the head as we recorded it at no point did we ever visualize a live show because again it was just a, a recording more of a recording fun exercise more than anything like in the studio what can we do what weird sounds can we make who anything cares? goes who cares what it's played on if we're hitting a pot and pan who cares about it you know in the live setting but then as I, I saw on your social media that it was like well here's the tracking of the bass guitar duplicating the synth bass and i was like that'll be fun live when he's trying yeah, to exactly. hammer yeah. on and then like both hands are doing that yeah that was a bit of the running joke as we were recording also because we would be like cj or someone would be like man this wouldn't this be fun to, to maybe play a show live sometime and then we'd immediately start laughing we'd be like yeah we can't i don't know how we're gonna ever be able to pull this thing off but one thing we had talked about now that it's kind of out is like it would be cool down the road to play a show or a, a couple shows probably in like maybe the kansas city area or something uh, but like you mentioned the backtracks, one thing with this project is it's always been, yeah, there's a lot of electronics, but if we were to ever do it live, we're just going to find 10 people, 10 friends, essentially of who's willing to play and learn their parts. Cause I think this fun aspect of this is that it's, it is a good mix of organic instruments with electronics. So if we were to do it in a live setting, basically we would try our darndest to not use really any backtrack elements and, and, and re recreate it in a new fresh way, which this is an awful comparison because we're not compared to them, but like Radiohead, you go see live and by no means do the songs sound like the album, they're recreating it in a new fresh way. And that's obviously a big influence for I think every musician in the world, but that was kind of our goals. If we ever do this live, it'd be really neat to do a weird interpretation. Yeah, of it. like a fresh version of the songs where we can do it actually live and we don't have to rely on backtracks essentially to pull it off. Uh, during pandemic here, I uh, got to start a band with uh, Ben Wench, uh, who is the lead singer of the Way Way Back out here and owns oh, uh, yeah. the Rhino venue uh, because we could rehearse in a giant venue where we were all 20 feet away from each other and there was the PA and the drum. I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. And that one sprawled into three guitarists where everyone also plays keyboards. And at some point I was like, this, uh, this isn't an emo band anymore like you set out to be. This is like Radiohead. <laughs> I think yeah. that we've gone a little too excessive in what this is. And that's that's the best part of stuff like that. You know, especially with this album in particular, like ex, being excessive on things was not a worry or a concern. We were like, if this is too much, awesome. So like that that would fit there too. I mean, if, if it's too many people and too big, that's great. 
<laughs> what I'm trying to say subtly here is I would love to play with you when you come to town to and do a yeah. show. You have nine songs. I think I can learn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, one of your, not to get us too far off topic, but one of your old bands, uh, with Villains to the Masses, Heroes of the Holy, you guys incorporated a lot of electronics too, didn't you? At at some points, and yes, but we were also doing that thing where we were recording like four albums a year. And I was like, some of these, I don't think we'll be able to uh, pull off, but like yeah. we could pull off an electric cello. Uh, and yeah, plenty of <laughs> things back in the day. Oh, wow, we're all thinking about something from the past. Let's not do that. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry, derailed. What, um, what kind of, how do you de describe the band to people that ask? Because like, I, I feel like you're you're very clearly in this, Midwest electropunk, which I have no idea why we got so good at this, but like yeah. the things out of Omaha and stuff have always been like, I think that's the band. And like, there's so many other, is there something about the Midwest that we're like, dance is just now getting here, but also we like playing guitars. Like we'll, we'll live in a spot between the two. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And I think The Faint is a great example of like an influence that we all had, Austin, myself, and CJ in particular, growing up. And it, you're right, it is like a, it's the, it's a Euro inspired dance vibe, but it's got like a, it's a scrappier Midwestern take on it that incorporates some of the, you know, more raw live drums, live guitars. I don't know how the Midwest became such like a, a hot spot for that particular style of sound but for the for scores like a lot of our big influences the the record was born out of a trip that the three of us austin cj and i did a backpacking trip through europe four four or five years ago and we just really liked the idea of like oh how can we combine some of these euro club influences but also make like a kind of a rock record and that's what we were going for ultimately i don't know if you know whether or not we got there that's that was our kind of target like a rock version of euro i i wonder if perhaps this this genre and coming from this place stems from the fact that we have no dance clubs and no one sets out to become a dj there's no one from salina kansas that's like i'm gonna be dj tiesto and so we're <laughs> yeah, like okay, okay. I, I would like to play a synthesizer and i would like for people to dance uh i guess this is the path forward oh for sure i think you know on that Europe trip Alex is talking about in particular, we normally don't attend kind of club vibes. I we love that music and we love electronic music, but like going to a crowded sweaty club normally isn't what we do, but we're in Europe and we're like, let's do it. So we actually ended up going to several in different cities all across Europe. And every time we fell in love with the music and just the bass rhythms and, and also the fact that everyone in that room is just kind of vibrating to the same beat and the same tempo. Well, they're also high out of their mind. Well, they're also yeah, probably added to it. drugs. But but I think we all, every time we would walk out of the club, every single time we would look at each other and be like, how freaking rad would it be to be a band that does that? Like you're a band, you've got six people on stage, but what you're playing basically sounds like club music, which a lot of bands already do that. But again, we, you know, like you're saying in the Midwest, that's kind of a rare thing and it's becoming more of a thing. So that was kind of that influence was how do we recreate a club setting, but with as a rock with band. as musicians. Yeah. Like with live instruments. So that was kind of the main influence for sure. I'm just now realizing that every time I left a dance club in Chicago in college and may have been under the influence of something, the first thing I said was the epiphany of what if we did that as a band? 
Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I think we're not, we're not the first think, people to, to have that and, thought. And that's clearly like the faint is a perfect example. That's exactly what they were trying to do is like, we love dance music. We want to do this live. Like that's, you know, that's, that's just the inspiration for all those types of bands. Yeah. And there's no mistaking like LCD sound system has always been a huge influence oh, yeah. on us. And I mean, they're, they're in that same realm of, of doing what we were attempting to do with this record. And we're not going to shy away from that comparison. That was a huge influence for us as well. Well, you and your band have sold your guitars to buy arpeggiators. Exactly. Sold your arpeggiators to buy guitars. Buy guitars. I, so I, I, I think the last question I'll ask today before I let you go is to just um, uh, one of the first singles off this album uh, <laughs> is a song about the Black Lives Matter protests. And I, I've spoken about this on social media, but a, there aren't that many white bands doing songs about Black Lives Matter. The hip hop world certainly has plenty, but like, I don't think I can point to another rock song about dealing with the police as a militarized force that also has just a killer cowbell. And I'm just, I, what was the moment where you guys like, what if we did a really dancey protest thing? What was it that spoke to you that you were like, actually that could be a score song? <laughs> Well, that's right. That's a great question. That was one of those in the studio as it was happening as we were writing and CJ brought these lyrics that were very, very thoughtful lyrics. And I know he he spent a lot of time really thinking about those lyrics, wondering, doubting whether they were too heavy handed, a little too self-serious. At a certain point, we realized we were so far down this track of writing this song with these lyrics and this vibe that it was like, we can't turn back now. We're committed to it. But I mean, early on in that process, like with that song in particular, we already had the lyrics in place over the top of this somewhat upbeat, dancing number, which, yeah, you wouldn't think would have such kind of serious, you know, dark toned lyrics, but telling a great story. So early, but midway through the production, when we started really messing with like the synthesizer and the bass synth more, we already had these lyrics in place. We started then playing with the tones more of how can we match the lyrical content with some more intense synthesizers or intense tones. And then honestly, that's where that saxophone solo came from. The song needed an extra lift. And then when we had the idea of adding some sax, we were like, well, it can't just be it can't be a good sounding sax because that's that's going to throw off the rhythm of the lyrics and the, it's a it's know. a very coked up uh berlin era bowie guitar solo where you're like <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. think he knows how to play it but I, I it's perfect for what's supposed to happen at this exactly. point in the song yeah, the guy who actually played sax is a very skilled sax player in in chicago he's like a street musician and we had him recording all these great parts and they were really good and we kept saying like these are great, but like, we really need it nastier. Like, can you kind of play poorly? Play bad. And he didn't quite understand, because I mean, who would want someone to record a bad sax part? So we ended up taking his parts and kind of messing with them a little more in post-production to create this, I mean, kind of an ugly solo. That's what we wanted was like this kind of disturbing solo that's cool, but also a little off kilter and a little keeps you on your toes because again we wanted to keep that lyrical content just as important to match the music like that so it ended up uh, I, I i think i'll take the podcast episode out with that song so that everyone can hear exactly what you're talking about folks oh, you will know that part when it hits it yeah. is abrasive um <laughs> yeah. fellas uh, where can people find and support scores music and where can they catch you on tour in your other groups <laughs> Uh, scores is scores band on Instagram. And I think scores 
band? <laughs> That's a great question. People can try and type up scores and they're never going to find it. It's scoresband.com, right, Austin? Brock, you might have to edit this. Let me yes. It's scoresband.com is the, uh, <laughs> and then scores volume one is the name of the debut record. And we may or may not be playing any live shows soon with scores, but Hembry, our main project at the moment, is on the road sporadically and COVID depending. So we'll see about that, how that goes. Uh, fellas, have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for talking to me and best of luck out there. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brock.
And that's been the Streetwise Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening this week. Please check out thepitchkc.com. We are doing incredible work each and every day. I love this job. I absolutely love doing this. Uh, I love getting to meet so many of you and talk about the weirdest, most surprising, darkest, happiest things you can possibly imagine. Uh, Reach out to me anytime, brock at thepitchkc.com. If you have stories or just want to say hi, yeah, I'm I'm here, I'm around, and I'm always talking to somebody, so would love to hear from you. Uh, if you ever want to donate to The Pitch to keep the lights on for your local alt newspaper that's in its 41st year, uh, check out the website. There's a little donation box option. We'd love anything you can do. Uh, coming up uh, in a weekend, we've got The Pitch Scavenger Hunt. Uh, absolutely check out The Scavenger Hunt. It costs a couple of bucks. You and some friends get to be a team. Uh, we've got some clues. You bounce around Kansas City. And you win a prize if you get the most photos in the most clue locations. It takes uh, as much time as you want to sink into it. But we did it again. We did it a few months ago, and everyone involved seemed to have a really great time. Uh, we've we've made some improvements on it since then. Absolutely check it out. That's on the main page of our website. And also, voting has started for KC Best of 2021. Uh, We have 500 categories uh, where we are down to the finalists in every category. So you can pop on through and place all your votes wherever you want them to go. You don't have to do all 500. I, in fact, I insist that you do not. Um, But but best of voting is there. And that's how you, the the listener, viewer, reader, gets to decide the best of absolutely everything in KC this year. It is a thing that I do not touch in any way, nor do any of us. It is completely up to you. So check out the best of KC 2021. We think you're going to dig that. Check out the scavenger hunt. Take care of each other. Be cool out there. Pitch in and we'll make it. Pitch in and we'll make it. Thank you so much. This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.